Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised. In 2018, Luis Perez shot and killed his two ex-roommates and the woman who gave him the gun. I believe I should have been let out and exonerated of these charges. You still claim that you're not guilty. Why is the finger pointed at you? It didn't matter what the facts were or what the circumstances were. I just looked at it like, damn, he's a Mexican, he's illegal, but if you think along the lines, I probably done did it. I just want to hear what your reaction is when I say those names. Joshua Hampton, Sabrina Starr, and Stephen Marler. I was not the one who did this to their people. You are now listening to the podcast Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, they all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. In this episode of Voices of a Killer, we talk to Louise Perez, a man convicted of killing three people on Halloween night in 2018. A day after Louise was evicted by his landlord, Joshua Hampton and Stephen Marler were shot dead at his former residence. A third victim, Sabrina Starr, also died shortly after. Now, this is one of the most recent cases we've covered on this podcast. Over a long, painstaking four-year trial, Louise finally received his sentencing on January 6, 2023. Over the course of his trial, his status as an undocumented immigrant garnered online attention, something we'll explore more in this interview. 
Today, Luis strongly professes his innocence and claims he's been the subject of prejudice because of his Mexican roots and his affiliation with gangs. In this episode, we'll attempt to piece together what actually happened that night and examine the evidence for ourselves. Will you give Louise a chance to tell his side of the story? Sit back and listen closely to this episode of Voices of a Killer. Do you pronounce your name Louise or, or Lewis? Most people call me Louis. That's pretty much what it is. If, my, if you want to use my government, then that's Louise. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Where were you born? I was born in Mexico. In this, uh state called Oaxaca. And is it accurate, like the, the news says, that at 18 months old you made it to the U.S. with your parents? I really, I don't know for real. I can't really tell you how old I was because I was an infant, literally just radical lot. And I basically came over to the state line. How would you describe your childhood? So, I mean, I can't, my childhood, I'm going to keep it all the way real with you. I, I can't say that I struggled. I can't say that I didn't have a father figure, a family figure. Like I had all that. I had a good home. My parents just were never home because they, they wanted to provide a good life. So they was always working. What did they do for a living? My father, he works general warehouse work. So basically like forklifting, general labor, stuff like that. He did construction for a while too. He broke his back, then went to the warehousing. Yeah. So lots of hours that he worked. Yeah. Basically from sunup to sundown. Fucking six in the morning, he was already out the door. Didn't come back home until eight, seven o'clock at night. Where did you mostly grow up in the United States? I mostly grew up in New Jersey, in a city called New Brunswick. Is that a smaller kind of place, or has it got a lot of population? Okay, so I'm gonna put it to you like this: it's a it's a college town for real, because the university that's there is Rutgers University. How would you describe you how you got along with the community? You know, being Mexican uh, and being from born in Mexico. I it's pretty complex for real because to me. I feel like I grew up here, so I, there was a lot of stigmatism against Mexicans growing up. So the main thing is a lot of people were afraid of being deported and being afraid of just generally growing up because you never knew what was the next raid or if the police was going to arrest you for whatever reason, you fit the description. It's hard growing up Mexican, but for me, it took, like I, I was a U.S. citizen. When I went to school here, I did everything. Like every anybody that that's listening right now, that's a U.S. citizen. I don't see no difference between me and you. Sure. Did you graduate high school? Yeah, I, I got my my uh, high school diploma from uh, a school called New Brunswick High School. Yeah. Did you ever have any run-ins with the law in New Jersey? Oh man. Yeah, I had a few. Of them. I, had, I had a few run-ins with the law. It was pretty much paced down until I grew up and became after 18 years old. It seems that. When I turned 18, that's when the real stuff started happening. Before that, I can't really say that I had real run-ins with them, little verbal warnings and don't do this, don't do that, little slaps on the wrist. After I turned 18, that's really when I really got locked up. The first time I got locked up was in front of my dad's eyes. Like, literally, I just dropped him off of work. That's like, I say about literally a block away from his job, I got handcuffed. For what? Supposedly... I was supposed to be suspended license or something like that because I didn't, I like I failed to complete a class. So I didn't know about this, but I did have a New Jersey's driver's license. I had, I had all that. I had, I had it all cleared up and everything, but I just didn't know that I had a suspended license at the time. And at the same time, I didn't know I had to take this dumbass class. Did you ever do any serious so, crimes in New Jersey, like any felonies? Or accused of any? Uh, I got two warrants. I don't know if it's like very serious because it's still up in the air. I was going to court for it, but I was uh, I was uh, going to court for domestic violence that I had with my baby mother. That's still pending and up in the air. They're trying to come see me about that right now. That's pretty much it. But other than that, no. Louise grew up with immigrant parents in a college town in New Jersey. When he was just a young toddler, his parents left Oaxaca and crossed illegally into the U.S., seeking what all parents want for their kids, a better life. Over the border, they carved out a stable upbringing for Luis, his father doing backbreaking manual labor to get by. Growing up Mexican, Luis has dealt with his fair share of racism over the years, not to mention the constant fear of deportation. But America is Luis's home. Though he might be undocumented, Luis has no memory of Mexico. 
He spent his formative years in New Jersey and considers himself as American as anybody else. In spite of a supportive home life, Louise got caught up in criminal activity early on. After high school, things took a more serious turn when Louise faced charges of domestic assault against two of his ex-girlfriends. It was also around this time that Louise picked up and left New Jersey for Springfield, Missouri. What drove his relocation, I wondered. Was he chasing a new beginning, trying to distance himself from his past? You have ties, obviously, you born and raised most of your upbringing is New Jersey. But your crime happened in Springfield, Missouri. What got you from there to Springfield, Missouri? Okay, this is really what, what, what started this journey. Like I was saying, I had that current warrant with my baby mother about the situation that happened over there in Jersey. Stuff happens, we get into arguments, they, they don't roll well, and we have disagreements. And at the time we were young, thinking back on it now, things could have been done different. Things would have been way different if I would have handled things differently. So I was going to court for that. And at the time I'm going to court, I had another girlfriend and the girlfriend was in and out of the relationship. So she would be with me and then not be with me. So she'll sometimes stay with me. Sometimes she wouldn't stay with me sometimes, but she was in and out. And on top of that, she was married. It's a no situation for me. I already know I'm going to lose in this situation. Me and her had a, domestic violence situation going on. But with her, it was more he said, she said, because she was never heard, never touched, nothing. All it was, I told her straight up, look, I don't want to be with you. I don't want nothing to do with you. Leave me the fuck alone. Fuck you, I'm on. Get out of my face. Next thing, a day later, police looking for me. They told me that. My mom told me that they were looking for me for a domestic assault warrant. So I'm thinking, okay, this ain't going to turn out right for me. Off the rip, I said, you know what? Let me think this shit through because I'm not ready to go to jail. I ain't trying to do this shit right now. I got a lot of shit going. I went into hiding for about a week or two. And then I finally said, you know what? Fuck it. Let me fucking book a ticket. But the way that happened was my homeboy that I shall not disclose with his name, but we're just going to call him Chris. The homeboy Chris. Just hit me up randomly on Facebook and was like, man, what's up, bro? I've been trying to chill, kick it with you, come through. So I hit him up back. I'm like, man, what's up? Where you at? He tells me Missouri. Mind you, I'm living upstate, northeast. And I'm like, where the fuck is Missouri at? I did not know Missouri existed on the states, none of that. It was like, what the fuck? So then he told me, he gave me the actual things. And I'm thinking, okay, Missouri, Springfield. So I'm thinking, I, I heard of Springfield. But mind you, I didn't know at the time there was other Springfield. So I'm thinking it's like the sense. So I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I booked a ticket on uh, online and went through the Greyhound. Ended up in Springfield. Took a 26-hour 20, drive to the Greyhound and shit and ended up in Springfield so, with the homeboy Chris. Yeah, so Chris, why was he in Springfield? I believe, I don't know for real what's the real reason, but his girlfriend, I guess, she was from here at the time. He met her up in New York, and somehow they ended up down here. So you meet Chris, and do you get a job and start working here? Are you just hanging out with him? What are you doing? My background is, you know, Mexican. Uh, I've done the nine-to-five jobs. I've done the warehouse work in construction, floor and tile. That's what Mexicans do. But for me, it was never set in my mind that I needed a nine-to-five. Nine I, I just couldn't do it. So at first, I was doing, you know, typical Mexican shit, you know what I mean, working. So I became a tattoo artist at 15, 16. I'm thinking I'm the shit. <laughs> Let's just keep it all the way real. I'm, I'm pretty popular in high school. I found that in high school, one of my homeboys told me, hey, look, you got a sense for drawing. You try to tap me. And he's man, just order a machine online. I'll pay for it and, and tap me up. Yeah, long story short, I ended up developing my... my career as a tattoo artist and um, that's what i was doing out here i was also doing other illicit things that i don't feel too comfortable speaking about but if you think along the lines i probably done did it so louise's next chapter took him to springfield as we learned the move was a shot in the dark he was evading some messy legal troubles back home looking for a place to camp out for a while and pick springfield on a whim all he knew about the place was that a friend lived there one long Greyhound bus trip later, Louise was in a totally new city. 
He picked up tattooed artistry in high school and used this craft to make a living. Though he's unwilling to share too much, Louise was also involved in a gang and took part in some illicit activities to make ends meet. Now, Louise was convicted of allegedly killing three of his roommates. The prosecution's case goes that Louise was kicked out of the home and this became the motive for the crime. I wanted to hear about how Louise came to meet the three victims in Springfield and get some insight into their residence on East Locust Street. So you were uh, tattooing for, for folks around Springfield, making money that way and stuff. And what I want to do is I want to say some people's names. I just want to hear what your reaction is when I say those names. Uh, Joshua Hampton, Sabrina Starr, and Stephen Marler. Okay, so Joshua Hampton. I'm going to keep it real with you. I had no problems with Joshua Hampton. He was a typical white boy. He was cool, you know. And I, I, I hung out with him because he was brought around. But he wasn't my first pick to hang out with. But let's keep it real. Me and him had some issues. And... He developed into some bullshit, and I really didn't care for him afterwards. So but I have no issues? no animosity towards him. What were the issues? Shit, when motherfuckers is, is chilling, they show you your real true colors. And to me, he he just wasn't who he was portraying. I say when uh when people get to hang out with each other, you start to actually interact, know a person, and what he was portraying wasn't really who he was. Right. So uh, I'm I'm just gonna say he was more like a, a wannabe gangster than what he was really doing. I mean, sure. So what comes to mind whenever I say Sabrina Starr? Sabrina Starr? Man. What can I start with her, man? I'm going to keep it real with you. She was just my little ride or die chick, man. She was with the shit. I got nothing but love for her. It sucks that the shit went down the way it went down, and I can't really speak too comfortably on it. And all I'm going to say is, look, if she was still here, I have nothing but love for her. I can't have no hate for her, none of that, because she was real. Even though a lot of people didn't like her and a lot of people didn't really care too much for her, when she started hanging around me, I really did take a liking to her. And on top of that, she lost love for her. All I, I care is, I care about her still. I still think about her to this day. Yeah. What about Stephen Marler? Stephen Marler? For real? I don't even know, dude, for real. He's just going to be my landlord's friend. I I don't know the dude. I can't say nothing bad about him. Yeah, I'm just going to say that wrong place, wrong time. Who was your roommate? You lived with all three of them or you lived with one of them at one time? All right. So basically the only roommate I had was supposed to be Anderson. But uh, other than that, it was my landlord and he lived downstairs. His name was Cody. And for him, that, that's just who was supposed to live there. Everybody else just came and went. And did their own thing. Like, it just basically is, is a party house. Like, we kick it there, we do our thing, and that's all we did. How much did you have to pay to live there? All right, so initially the agreement was half of the rent, which was 325 and then half on the electricity bill. That's all I had to pay. So you weren't roommates with the three victims in this case? No. Actually, Josh was, uh, I believe, homeless. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Sabrina had her own house or apartment or whatever he was. And Marler, like I said, he was my landlord's friend. And I don't know. I don't really know too much about him. So who kicked you out? Uh, that, that was uh, my landlord. What did he kick you out for? The story is that there was a pistol with the net hurt and he didn't physically see it or anything like that. All he saw was just blood. Basically, all, all that transpired. He saw the blood, and he, he kicked everybody out. What was the blood from? Uh, allegedly, it was from Mr. Hampton. What happened? Uh, just a discussion. He started bleeding. A discussion, and he started bleeding? Yeah. Who made him bleed? I did not feel comfortable disclosing that. Okay. Was he injured with a weapon? The According to the police file, they said that he... Uh, Got hit, uh, hit with a handgun. So that's what the police file says. Where were you at the time of this happening? I was at her house. Did you see it happen? Yes, I did, I did see this happen. Did Joshua see it coming? Was there an argument first? I don't know if he saw it coming for real. I can't tell you because at this time, everybody in the house, we just pretty much 
we was partying, man. Like, keeping all the way hundreds. Like, they was off of ice. I was off of Zans and weed, liquor. It was just, it was too much drugs in that house for real. You were high on Xanax and Joshua was high on meth? High on meth, heroin, whatever. His drug of choice was heroin. So, I mean, you can never really tell what he was on. So he was beaten with a pistol, and you and you watched that. <laughs> I saw it occur. Did you think about stopping him? Uh, for real, I'm gonna I'm gonna be real honest with you. He he was the one that started the altercation. He was definitely the one that was pushing the issue enough to where he would should be killed. Uh, I don't know about being killed. No, I mean that that's a whole different subject. We talking about what may or may not have happened. Yeah, we talking right now about what happened that night where the pistol whooping happened, allegedly. Yeah. He just bled a little bit, but other than that, it was cool. He didn't have too much of an injury, but he made it seem like he did. Like, he he got cut up and everything, but no, it was just a little script that happened to him. Life in the East Locust house was chaotic. Officially, only Louise and a man called Aaron Anderson were the fixed tenants there, but the house saw a steady influx of people in and out all the time. It was a party house with ample drug use. Somewhere in the mix, Louise crossed paths with Sabrina Starr, Joshua Hampton, and briefly, Stephen Marler. And though Louise cared for Sabrina, he had mixed feelings about Joshua. In fact, Joshua was at the center of the altercation that led to Louise's eviction. After being beaten with a handgun, Joshua was left bleeding, prompting the landlord Cody to kick both Louise and Anderson out of the house. Was this a motive for the next day's violence? What we know is that the next evening, on Halloween, four people were shot at the house. Joshua and Stephen died, and two others were rushed to the hospital with serious injuries. Days later, Sabrina Starr was also found dead, shot in the doorway of her bedroom. Police quickly identified Louise and Anderson as possible suspects. In an interview with police, Anderson admitted he and Louise were responsible, but that Louise had wielded the gun. After the break, we hear Louise's perspective of what happened that night. So how long after that did he end up being killed? I believe the pistol was been happening on the 30th, and I believe he passed away on the 31st. The next day or the next month? or? Okay, so according to all the paperwork and everything, the shooting happened right at midnight on the 31st going into the 1st. Was Joshua, Sabrina, and Stephen all killed at the same place, same time? No, that was uh, different times. Joshua was first. Okay, so Josh was first. There's two murder victims and two first-degree assaults that happened on the 31st. That's clear-cut. That happened for sure. Now, I do not know who got shot first or who did this or none of that. I can't tell you how that happened. But what I can tell you was the first scene included Josh Hampton, Stephen Marler, Jamar Smith, and Cody Phillips. And that was the night of, of Halloween, about midnight. Gotcha. Louise, you're accused of killing all three of these people, and you have went to court and pled not guilty. You still claim that you're not guilty. Why is the finger pointed at you? Listen, the finger was pointed at me off the rip because I, I knew personally that once this shit happened, it was all going to come down on me. It didn't matter what the facts were or what the circumstances were. I just looked at it like, damn, he's a Mexican, he's illegal, and he's an active gang member. I got a whole bunch of things going against me already off the top. Where were you whenever the shooting happened? Man, believe me or not, I really don't care. These are straight facts. What I'm telling you is literally in my case file. And I don't know for what reason. I believe I should have been let out and exonerate of these charges. But believe it or not, my lawyers figured it out that where I was exactly. And to be honest with you, I was at Northside Bear Village that night. I just got dropped off. I was literally going to go see another girl after I just got picked up from seeing another girl. There's records on Facebook saying that I was with a girl. Literally, there was a, a messages between Joshua Hampton and Sabrina Starr talking about where I was on that night. Where did, where did the murder occur? Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you, on the East Locust residence. Is there a time frame that you could actually show yourself at when this murder occurred? Because I am from Springfield, so it takes about 15 minutes to get from one end to the other, if that. So even though you may have an alibi somewhere, I'm just trying to figure out how they would accuse you of it. Was the alibi solid enough to put you there at that very time that the murder occurred, or was it a loose schedule? No, it's definitely something that was definitely talked about throughout my whole trial. So during this trial, there was multiple times where Sabrina and Anderson were seen together. Okay, so during these times, there was a time about, I don't know, about 45, maybe 11.50, literally a couple minutes right before the, the lead shooting happened. You know, the ledge time when it happened. And there was a person, I can't remember his name, but there was some dude, I don't know off the top of my head, but he literally went to court, stood on that stand, and said he never saw me there with him. The only people he saw was Sabrina Starr. There is a clear video of Ms. Starr at a Walmart going inside this Walmart by herself and coming out within two minutes. Now, mind you, Sabrina doesn't go nowhere by herself unless she's really by herself. And this is probably like five minutes before the shooting even happened. So but did, did Sabrina the only shot? person that was not seen at this site was me. They clearly identified my co-defendant and Sabrina Stark. The only person that was never identified there was me. We have a, a witness slash victim, Mr. Cody Phillips. He got on this stand and said to the judge, to, the, to everybody in the courtroom, nine different times, he never saw me that night. The only person he identified was my co-defendant with the gun and the same person who shot him. Who do you think killed him? It's clear cut who killed him, but it's not on me to tell you who killed him. If you read these files and you read the court transcripts, you'll know who really did what. Because all they ever had me on this on this trial was going with them to go buy bullets and being friends with them. That's the only thing they got on me. What were they buying the bullets for? I can't really go into that because I don't feel comfortable disclosing it. But what I can tell you is them bullets were never supposed to be used for that crime to be committed. Did you play any role in their death? No. Did you know about it or anything? Listen, the only thing I'm guilty of is not snitching, mommy. And I'm going to keep it real with you. I still won't snitch if they put me back on that motherfucker and tell me that you can go home if you tell the truth. I ain't going to do that. I ain't never was bred for that. I will never point the finger at somebody, even though I know better and I know I should do it. You know how many times I done thought about it, I myself, how many homeboys have told me, man, fuck that dude or fuck him or who this, do that. I don't know him. You know what I'm saying? I, there's been multiple times motherfuckers done told me this, you, but I won't get on that stand, homeboy. Yeah. But you actually watched him get killed, though? No, I was not there. I, I done told you this. I was uh, on the opposite side. Over there where the college campus is at. Okay. I was over there at North Bear Village where, where the college kids stay at. And I, I was literally giving it all the way. I, mean, I was fucking a bitch on that night. Whenever I got done, I got picked up. 
They went to another bitch's house. That night, three lives were claimed. Louise insists that he was far away from the crime scene, meeting someone on the north side Bear Village that night. Police pinned Louise to the crime based on an array of evidence. Witnesses say Sabrina traded Louise the gun that was used to kill. Louise also bought the bullets for that gun. An ex-girlfriend of his later admitted to burning bloodied clothes. But probably the most damning of all was Aaron Anderson's confession to the police that Louise was to blame. Yet Louise clings to an alibi he says is solid, supported by witnesses who attest that he was absent that night. He contends that other evidence exonerates him and that his Mexican heritage and gang affiliation that have twisted the narrative. Still, Louise stands by his conviction that he will not snitch on the true killer. In 2022, Louise was ultimately found guilty by bench trial. The news report you'll hear next touches on Louise's guilty verdict and the reaction from the victim's family. I don't care who killed my son. Whoever killed my son needs to pay the price. So now he's going to. Tonight, families are celebrating justice after a jury found a Springfield man guilty of a triple homicide. In 2018, Luis Perez shot and killed his two ex-roommates and the woman who gave him the gun. Color 10 Sydney Moran is live outside the courthouse tonight after speaking to one of the victim's family members. Sydney. Steve, family and friends of the victims have been waiting for a judge to give that guilty verdict. And when the judge did that today, the courtroom was not only filled with sighs of relief, but also tears. Today has been the roughest day in four years. Friends of Aaron Joshua Hampton, Stephen Marler, and Sabrina Starr filled the courtroom Wednesday. It wasn't just a drug deal gone bad and somebody shot somebody. The, there are hundreds of people involved. Death of Stephen Marler, uh, the court finds it guilty. We fought and we scrapped and we stayed with it. Causing the death of Aaron Hampton by shooting him, uh, the court finds him guilty. You know, I've been waiting four years pretty much for this verdict. Zach Hampton says he was close with his brother who went by Joshua. Joshua was one of Perez's ex-roommates. We grew up together, just playing in the backyard, you know. The guilty verdict doesn't come as a shock to Zach, but Zach says he still needed to hear it. I know he's looking over my family and my three kids. He he missed out on two of them, so just glad I got justice. Another mother will never live the life I've lived the last four years. For Hampton's mother, Wednesday was a celebration. But today, we're the victors and our children are the heroes. Because of our children, this man will never kill another person. So all three of our children died heroes. Hampton's family says the verdict is the first step towards closure. The sentencing will be the key locking the door and walking away. Because then we can say, we know where he's at, we know where he's going to be. Life moves on. The sentencing date for Perez is scheduled for January 6th of 2023. So not only do the, does the courts, you know, obviously think you're guilty because of where you're at, but the victim's family also thinks you're guilty. How does that make you feel? Listen, I really can't feel no type of way for them because if I was in their shoes, I would want to believe that justice has been served and I believe that they did the right thing. That's what I would want to believe. I wouldn't want to hear it no other way. I, I don't care if you did or didn't do it. If you was alleged to be the person who did it, I hope you go down. I, I don't hold no nothing against them for thinking that way, but I do want them to know that they sat in this courtroom they went through the whole court process, saw me many times, and they knew at the end of that trial, I was never there. The only reason why I got found guilty, and this is in, in, in my belief, was because I believe that judge had it in his mind preset off the top that he was going to be the one to find me guilty. It didn't matter if what the facts were. It didn't matter what the science proved. It didn't matter about technology. You're Mexican. You're a gang member. You are an illegal immigrant. That's all he had in mind. Did you have a bench trial or jury trial? That is another reason why I also believe that he, he got away with what he did. Because I, I really feel that the judge played a big part on this. I had a bench trial. I believe in, in my evidence exonerating. I believe truly that it was going to clear my name and be how it was. But apparently that didn't matter to that judge. But yeah, I had a bench trial. I feel that things would have been different if I had a jury trial. Uh, you had the opportunity to choose either a bench trial or a jury trial. What made you choose a bench trial? Okay, so for me, the decision had to be made 
And they told me that I had two options. They told me that either I take a, a bench trial and drop all my ACAs and drop my witness tampering or, or no, nah, I don't think it was witness tampering. I think it was tampering with evidence. My bad. Drop that and the death penalty. They would drop all that and, and give me a bench trial and, and the change of venue. I had to drop that as well. I found it hard telling my mom, look, mom, they plan on killing me. They really think on putting me to sleep. And that was a hard conversation I had with my mother. In her mind, she, she just couldn't hear that. Were you in jail whenever you told her that? Yeah. I literally sat on visit, broke it down to her, and told her, look, mom, the state's trying to kill me for something I did not do. What did she say to you? She said, have faith in God. God's going to be the one that was going to show these people that you didn't do this. She told me herself she didn't believe I did this. Why did you get accused of tampering with evidence? Did you tamper with evidence? No. That's just part of uh, what this uh, female that was involved in my case, and she was high on Xanax, and she basically was on some bullshit and said some dumbass shit. Got herself involved in the case. She didn't even have nothing to do with it, but I don't know what the fuck happened. She was just on all bullshit, and she told them a story, and that's, that's, that's what stuck. So Joshua's father addressed the courtroom, and he said the following, and I wanted to know what your reaction was when he said it. He said that he hoped you to, uh, would seek forgiveness from God. Do you remember him saying that? Uh, I believe he said that, and I believe also Star's mom said the same thing. Did you look at him when they said that? Uh, yep. I saw their faces when they told me this. What was your expression to theirs? Was it sorrow, or what was it? This is during the sentencing phase, right? Yeah. When they said this. So by that time, my mind was everywhere but the courtroom. Like I was physically there, but I was not mentally there. So I heard what they told and said. And for real, I appreciate that they said that. But at the same time, I really didn't care too much for what they said. And that's during the time. Although now that I'm looking back on it, I do appreciate what they did and the words that they had for me. But at the end of the day, though, the whole situation happened because I believe that God was going to be the one that was going to lead me out. Them at the end of the drawn-out four-year trial, the judge found Louise guilty of three counts of first-degree murder and two of assault. Leading innocent, Louise has maintained that the judge in his case, Judge Mountjoy, passed a biased verdict. For a number of reasons, Louise opted for a bench trial in which the judge alone makes the final call. This type of trial puts the onus entirely on the shoulders of one man. Louise contends that Judge Mountjoy carelessly overlooked the hard evidence of the case, preferring to stereotype Louise as a dangerous, illegal immigrant. Prejudice clouded his judgment, Louise claims, resulting in five life sentences, a hard pill to swallow at 27. It should be noted that Louise, co-defendant Aaron Anderson, received two life sentences in 2023 as well. In spite of everything, Louise expresses empathy for the victim's family. In their shoes, he says, he would want justice served just as badly. As I brought up with Louise, the families have been very vocal throughout the whole of this trial. Something we'll discuss more after the break. Are you glad that you didn't get the death penalty? For real, the death penalty didn't really, it didn't matter to me. It, it was uh, all or nothing for me from the very beginning. So let's keep it real with you. Right now, what I got is, is the death penalty. I'm going to die in prison, currently sent. But for real, I would have preferred the death penalty because at least I know when I'm when I'm over with and when I'm done doing this. You Although it might take 10 years, 10, 15 years to go through the death penalty, I could do that. But doing sitting in jail and sitting in county, then sitting in prison, and then sitting here with the uncertainty of what's coming up next, what's going to be right around the corner. I don't like that, sir. What was your reaction in the court when Judge Mountjoy read out the sentencing to you? What did you do? What did you say? Uh, when he read, read out the sentencing, I, I just went total disbelief, literally total disbelief. It literally took me out of my mindset, and I went in with and just broke me. Was your mom there? No, my mom was not there. Did you have any support there? Yeah, I had, I had one of the homeboys there. 
that was from Springfield, and my sister was there for at least three or four of the days up to trial, and then she went back to work, and she was there for me. So you and I both know that appeals are very unsuccessful the majority of the time. How do you resolve yourself knowing that more than likely you'll die in prison? I do not believe that I'm going to die in prison. I believe that I will be exonerated at some point in time. And I feel, at least in my mind, that I got to go through these circumstances and I got to go through this struggle because I'm being tested. I'm being tested in my faith because I do got faith. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I do believe in, in, in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe in all that. You know what I mean? Don't, don't get it wrong. Like I, I, I truly do believe in that. It's just a simple fact that these trials and tribulations are testing me and see what I'm about. I got to go through this so I could become a better person on the other side. I believe that I am going to become a better person on, on the other side because let's keep it real with you. I came in a drug addict. I came in on a lot of bullshit. And what I can say right now is I'm clean, 100%, no drugs. I've been, you know, taking this time to become a better man, connect with my family, connect with my kids. Because that's, that's my main goal, to give back to my children. And I got a goal. And and my goal is to go through this, learn from it, and become a man. Because when I came in here, I was still a kid. And now I can say that I, I have grown up in here. Many people who knew me when I first got locked up and see me now, they tell me straight up, you changed. You're not the same person. What's it like in prison for you? For real? Prison ain't that bad right here. I'm supposed to be one of the bloodiest camps. I'm in Lincoln, Missouri. And you, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but I know that shit goes down every day. Motherfuckers get caught up in bullshit. Motherfuckers be getting stabbed up. They call it sticking licking. I mean, I actually do know. I I talked to quite a few people, and some of the people in my episode has actually talked about it. So, what I also know is Missouri prisons uh, don't have a lot of Mexicans. So, where are you at on that? Oh shit! Right now, I'm with all homies. Right now, yeah, we in here, we chilling. So you do you admit that you're? You said on the outside you were in a gang, right? Yeah. So most people that associate gangs, they associate gangs with illegal activity and, and, and in, in a lot of cases, murder. So if you're admitting that you're in a gang, why would it be hard to believe that you wouldn't have killed somebody? Oh, well, shit. If you knew me from the street and you knew who the fuck I was when I was in the street, yeah, I was definitely a hated person. But I wasn't hated for the simple fact that I was all in, in super gang activity. Uh, it wasn't even because of that. I was I was a money maker. Like I, I was one of the golden boys. A lot of people didn't like me because I, I stuck to my goals. You know what I mean? I, I made money, and let's keep it real. I fucked a lot of niggas, bitches. A lot of motherfuckers don't like me because I fucked they bitch. That comes with the territory. Are you still in a gang? Yeah, I'm. I'm currently still gang banging. What's the uh, name of the gang you're in? Is it a prison gang or a street gang? I'm a, nah, I'm a I'm a sureño trece, but street gang. Although Louise escaped the death penalty, life in prison, he says, is almost worse. Yet I was struck by his strong sense of hope in the face of uncertainty. Louise plans to appeal his case, which he firmly believes will clear his name of this crime. On top of this, he sees his arrest as a catalyst for personal growth. It's renewed his faith and strengthened his resolve to emerge from this test as a better man. In prison, Louise has kept his gang affiliation, something that might have marked him as a likely killer early on. However, it wasn't just his gang ties that made him the target of stereotypes. News about his immigration status made headlines shortly after his 2018 arrest. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, known as ICE, issued a statement about the case. It stated that Louise had been held in New Jersey prison for multiple felonies in 2017. At the time, ICE requested he be deported to Mexico but the request was ignored and he walked free. ICE now asserts that these murders might have been prevented if the deportation had been carried out. Regrettably, this has attracted the attention of online vitriol that villainizes illegal immigrants. One of the victim's mothers has become an ardent advocate for action against undocumented immigrants. Louise, there's a lot of stuff on the news about your case and about illegal immigration and that you should have been deported. And how does that make you feel? Man. I wish I would have got deported because 
for real, I wouldn't be going through all this bullshit. That shit right there, I really wish I would have got deported. Because I'll keep it real with you. They're more likely, I would have came right back. And then we would avoid all this extra bullshit, being in Missouri, fucking being out of state, being away from my family, being away from my kids. Like, all that would have been avoided if I would have got deported. But like I said, man, it just wasn't in God's plans. And God be doing all types of things without telling you, without no warning, because it's already planned for him. So I believe there's a there's a reason why I'm in prison. I also believe that I have impacted many people through prison. I'm not gonna say that I'm a goodie and, you know, I'm um some type of guy or, or some type of, you know, big brother. But I have impacted many people through prison. Talked to them, kept it real with them, told them how it was, opened their eyes. There's been many times I don't tell people that if you're not in the gang, you don't come from this lifestyle, and you don't want to no no trouble coming to your door. Just keep it's, it's easy to keep it real and be yourself. Don't try and be somebody you ain't because that shit's gonna get tested real fast. Somebody ain't gonna like you for what you portraying, and it's always easier to be yourself. So when is your next appeal? Is it 2915? Is what's going on? All right, so I'm already in appeals right now. Right now, as we speak, I have a lawyer that already put in my direct appeal, seeing what the judge did wrong and all that. And if that fails, then I got to go through the Form 40, which is the ineffective assistance counsel. And then you basically claim everything under the kitchen sink on how your lawyer fucked up, what they did and did not do. And like I was saying earlier, because you're in prison, you hear people's stories that those are far and few between successful. Believe it or not, there has been more people who have got time back on their case or gotten completely exonerated that are walking in this camp. I have personally talked to many people. I'm sure there's people that, but but everybody files appeals. Everybody does. Yeah, there are people, yeah. but what I'm saying is it's a very low percentage of people. It just depends on how much hope you got. I got a lot. And I still haven't lost my hope. And, um, one thing I've noticed is a, a very big trend is people that have been down for 40, 50 years and they've exhausted all their appeals, they still have hope that they're going to get out. It's almost commendable how people in these situations can say, you know what, I've got hope, something's going to change. Nah, listen, for me, I really do got hope. I got some time coming back. Look, I'm going to keep it real with you, man. I may not be guilty for this crime. That's a fact. But I know I've done some dirt that I have to pay for and motherfucking do the time folk that I didn't get in trouble for. As we uh, end this, is uh, if the victim's family were to hear this podcast, was there anything you'd want to say to them? The only thing I would want to say to them is, listen, I understand what y'all going through. I done lost multiple people in my life. I done lost relatives. I done lost homeboys to all types of know how y'all feel. But I also want them to know that they might want to look a little deeper and put some of that hate they got towards me, put that away for a second, actually go to the back. Because I know once once you got something set in mind, you get you get blindsided. But I have to wish them to at some point realize that I was not the one who did this to their people. I hope that uh, maybe if you uh, decide someday that you uh, want to give up who killed these people, that would definitely help out. I feel like that's not going to happen, but I feel like it should be said. But I appreciate you letting me uh, talk with you and uh, hope the best for you. The best is the best, and the best is for me to come out. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. on the next episode of Voices of a Killer. Co-defendant Jerry Broyles is already serving two life terms after a guilty plea. If they ain't gonna let me out, I'd rather have a death penalty. Your brother actually ran over one of the guys with his vehicle? He hit one of them, yes. You did what my brother said, because he was a big boy and he didn't take no lip from me. How do you know them? I really didn't know them. Did you feel like there was a crazy rage inside of you? Yes. I was in another place. I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I can't believe that any of this happened. I didn't mean for any of this to happen. 
That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank Louise for sharing his story with us today. His ability to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. If you would like to listen to the raw recordings of these interviews, you can visit patreon.com slash voices of a killer. By becoming a patron, you can access not only this, but hours of bonus recordings, correspondence, and you can contribute to the way the show is produced. A big shout out to Sonic Futures, who handled the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer. Hey listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind the scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this, at our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before at our producer tier you will have the opportunity to engage with the team participate in q a polls and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments this tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future you'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes how cool At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once-in-a-month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team, allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on voices of a killer.